All right, I want to welcome on my next guest. We've got University of Miami legend, Detroit led Detroit Lions defensive back legend, Mr. Benny Blades. Benny, how's everything going? It's going great down here. In, uh, well, I can't say balmy, sunny South Florida. <laughs> <laughs> are people being responsible down there now? I know those cases. No. Uh, look, are, are you, are you I, I, see you, I see you right here with the thing hanging off. <laughs> look. Hey, look, you see, even when I went to go turn the lights on, yeah. I, got, I got a park full of people out here. I fuss every day about wearing your mask, wearing your mask. You see, I put my mask on to go yeah. turn the lights on. Yeah. When I come back to the office, I take it off. They're not afraid of coronavirus, but I'm definitely afraid of it. I've had five people that I've known since childhood who's passed away. Really? So, yeah. I mean, early 50s. And then it's, it's scary. Yeah. It's just really scary. It's wild. I, 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 I don't know if it's because I know the governor of Florida really he really hasn't really kind of clamped down. I know they were kind of getting on him because a lot of other states are. Hey, just, look, it's wild. Well, his, his whole thing is he wants to open up schools and have the kids go back to the schools. But let me tell you something. I work a little bit in the school system. Yeah. Okay. And we've already had three adults who's tested positive for the coronavirus. And there's no kids there. So can you imagine the kids are running around? I'm like, look, let's just keep schools closed until the end of the school year. I mean, until the end of, you know, this year. We try it again in January. If the numbers are still high, then you, you keep it closed for another, another month. Let's let this thing die down yeah. to where I, I shut down my uh, youth league program that I'm in charge of. I tell people if one kid gets the virus on my watch, you can't that's too much. It's yeah. too much. You can't, and the thing is, I, I, the thing that I keep thinking about is, or there's a lot of kids that really rely on school because maybe they they don't have the best wireless internet in their house, so they couldn't do school, or they rely on the school lunches. Maybe just let them be able to go there, get their lunches, do school online, and do that. Right. The way I see it is if I know how bad I was growing up in school and how <laughs> I didn't listen and I didn't talk and I wasn't doing anything. They're all, middle school, I was in the office almost every other day because I would not – I talked more than the teacher did. But I know how, how hard it is to hold control a classroom. I can't imagine how hard it is to control a classroom when you have to see and make sure every kid has a mask on. I don't know how you do that. No, look, like I'm, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't know if you guys got the got the news up there, but it's been playing all over the news down here. They opened up the theme parks, you know, Labor Day weekend. I don't know why. And you know how hard it was for those people. They kept saying, "We tell them to put the mask on." They take five more steps, then they take it back off. It's people true. are gonna just be irresponsible. They're gonna do what they want to do it's because true. a lot of people think, "Oh, it's just the flu." Yeah, but the flu. Yeah, it kills people, but not flu goes away. Way. Flu doesn't last eight months. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, I, just, I look. If you want to be irresponsible, just don't come around me. You know, <laughs> I come to my office and I close the door and you go, Benny. Uh, I'll come out when you guys leave. <laughs> no, it's it's a wild world. It's a wild world we live in. So I have a question. So how how so did you always want to play at the U? Was it even called the U when you went there? What did it what did what did it become the U? Uh, no, it was the University of Miami back then. Okay. I really wanted to be a Michigan Wolverine because I loved, 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 loved the emphasis. I loved Coach Bo Schembechler, okay? 
And I think the fatal mistake they made was bringing me up to Michigan in the middle of December. <laughs> you can't bring a Florida kid and you're going to recruit him up to Michigan in the middle of December. I didn't care how much the bells and whistles, you know, show me who I was on the Jumbotron. It's cold here. I'm ready to go back home. Now, it's so, funny It's funny you say that because I remember they had uh, – I heard Deion Sanders on some – uh, podcast a while back, and apparently they said that Wisconsin recruited him. He goes, Wisconsin? You think I'm coming up to Wisconsin? Man, I'm Florida born and raised. I'm coming up to Wisconsin. Get out of here. <laughs> no, that's I'm telling you, you know, it, 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 it's those things. I mean, I, I tell people, if you didn't have, if I wouldn't have had any other places to go, I probably would have went to Michigan and froze my butt off. Yeah. You know? But look, I think I, I, I chose Miami because of the peer pressure. I had just won the state track meet in the 400, and I turned and looked. Of course, my brother is up there who was already at Miami. You had Eagles All-Pro Jerome Brown in the stands. You had Winston Moss, Alonzo Highsmith, Melvin Bratton. You had a who's who of the University of Miami echelon up in the stands. You know, cheering, U-M, U-M. I was like, I ain't going to Miami. <laughs> so when I win the race, they all bombard the track. You can't be on the track. No, no, no. They didn't care. They came on the track. Who's going to get those big guys off the track? And so, I mean, they chanted me all the way off the track. And my brother said, you know you can't go anywhere else. You got to come to Miami. And so that's how that whole thing played out. I ended up down in Miami. I, I mean, come on, you had Alonzo Heisman, Melvin Bratton, JCP. You had so many guys who had so much talent. I was a running back coming out of high school. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. And so I didn't play defensive back until I got down to the University of Miami. And Jimmy Johnson said, hey, kid, you're an athlete. I'm moving you to the defensive side of the ball and you're going to be my starting free safety. Enough said. <laughs> when, when did you meet Ray Lewis? Well, I didn't meet Ray Lewis until I, I happened to come back. Okay? I mean, back then, if you were a University of Miami star, you came back to the University of Miami to give wisdom to the guys behind you. And so I happened to meet Ray on one of my visits back, you know, I mean, I have met Warren Sapp before Ray because Warren used to always tell people, I'm coming to the University of Miami. Now, he's a defensive tackle. He says, I'm coming to Miami because that guy Benny Blades, I'm, I'm going to end up playing safety like him, man. Boy, look at, he, he made playing safety fun. And so every time I see Warren, he tells that story. And so I'm like, look. He's too big to play safety. He ain't playing safety. I know, but look, when, look, when people see me, they says. There's no way you play safety. I was a 230-pound safety back then. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's unheard of. But you, you, the University of Miami, even to this day, we, no matter what class you come from, we all consider each other family. That's awesome. You know, it, so it doesn't matter. You know, when me, Ray, Ed Reed, we all get together. It, you know, you know, it's always a debate now. Who's... Class was better. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Do you 
do you see the current Miami program getting back to those days or those early early '90s, early 2000s teams? Do you think it's gonna be a while? Well, well, you know, you can you can never relive those days. You know, I, I tell people the game is just not shaped for that. If if we can get back to just being mentioned in the same breath as the late '80s, early '90s, for me that'll be that'll be good enough. Because I I put trust me. I have a nephew that's down there now. We put so much pressure on those kids down there, you know. And, you know, he just point blank told me. He says, Uncle Benny, it, it, it'll never be the same because you guys were able to just talk smack and there was no flags being thrown because people, they feared us, but they also loved us in the same breath. And I tell people, that was the biggest dichotomy going. How can you love us and hate us in the same time? Wow. You know? And so that's, that's why they'll never get back to those days because people don't, they, they, they want to see Miami come back, but they really don't because the cockiness and the brash attitude that comes with that, they don't want to see that again. They just really don't. Did you, were you opposed to switching to safety from, from running back or were, did you, were you okay with it? Anything that got you on the field. And I, I tell kids, you know, even in today's game, if a coach sees potential of you moving, move. Because it's about getting on getting on the field. I mean, you can keep that, you know, attitude that, no, I'm going to be a running back, no, I'm going to be a quarterback. And you could be there four or five years and never touch the field because you don't want to move and switch positions. I tell people the greatest thing Alan Hearns did when he was at the University of Miami. He switched from receiver to defensive back, and now he's back in the NFL. He's back to receiver. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got you to do whatever's best for you to get on the field is at that given time. Is he doing better now? I know he had a bad injury a couple years ago. Well, he had a bad injury, and now he, he, he actually, before the season began, he, he opted out of That's playing because of, he, he opted out because – He's raising his younger brothers and sisters, and for for him, getting sick is not an option. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If you were in the league today, would you contemplate maybe sitting out, or would you definitely play? <laughs> Look, I'm gonna give you a Benny Blaze story. All right. Okay, and it'll, it'll sum up who I am as a man even today. Now, we have. Played, I forget what we played that Sunday. I came down that Sunday night with a cold. It ended up on Tuesday being the flu. I didn't practice Wednesday and Thursday. The coach called me up on Thursday night. He said, it don't matter. You're going to play on Sunday. You know, I went, I went through walkthroughs. You know, <laughs> back then, you know, it's called a COVID mask. But back then, you know, I, I was all bundled up. Just for walkthroughs on that Friday because it didn't matter. They knew Benny Blaze was going to play, and we played in Green Bay that, that day, and, they, and the temperature was in the 20s. So can you imagine? I was shivering on the sidelines. It didn't matter. They knew I was going to play. I mean, I, I tell people, even when my back goes out now from all of the hits from over the years, I still – Go to work. People say, are you nuts? I can barely <laughs> walk, but I, I 
it's just something about me. I, I, I don't, if I'm earning a dollar, yeah. I want to earn that dollar. You know what I mean? I don't want people to say, oh, I'm giving him money. He's not doing anything for it. That's not the type of person I, I, I've grown up being, and I'd never be that person. That's the thing I would say. Like anytime I'm driving on the highway and I see that one exit that hasn't been done in like six years, I'm like, what are they doing? I know they're, they're just chilling. I'm like, I'm like, why is it always backed up right here? So, <laughs> because you everybody's know what? got one. Everybody's got one of those those exits on the highway. Yeah, you know what I mean. But, but look, and you, you speaking of that that highway because I, I see it all the time, especially down here in South Florida. They are tear up a road. And for six months, that road is broken. <laughs> and you look and you always see at least 20 of them. Just say oh, my gosh. They're getting paid no matter what. So, they, yeah. hey, yeah. you know what I mean? They don't care. And then they say we need it done by tomorrow and it's done before they leave. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's wild. It, it, it's honestly, everybody's got one of those roads or one of those exits or a bridge or something. I remember we had a bridge right near my house that took them like six years to build and then they, it didn't do anything. And then like in two months it was done. I'm like, what were you doing all this time? Uh, but I, 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 don't, I, I can't hate it. That's wild. So I have a question. What was your draft process like? Did you know you were going to be a top pick? Yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me tell you what I found out I really was going to be. A top pick because uh, I just came off of being the Bob Hope Christmas for the second year in a row. You know, it's all American, and you know when you go to the combine, the combine is always just that. It's a combine. I I didn't run at the combine. I didn't do any workouts at the combine, and so a lot of teams were like, "No, well, who's this kid? Think he is?" You know, I was like, well, if you turn on my tape, you'll know exactly who I am. And so when the Oakland Raiders, who I really, 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 really love, said, well, they flew me out. I had a couple of small chip vertebrae in my neck from childhood. And so he said, well, no, you know, and I think at that time they had the seventh pick in the draft. Well, no. They kind of soured other teams on drafting me because they put a bad physical out on me. And then, so the Atlanta Falcons passed on me. They had the first pick in the draft. And then the next pick was the Kansas City Chiefs. And they already said they were going defensive end. And Neil Smith was everybody's guy at that. You know, and so I was like, man, I might end up being freaking like that 20th pick of the draft. You know, nobody's calling me, nobody's talking to me. So a week before the draft, Wayne Fox comes comes down. But he was coming to, you know, South Beach, you know, just to hang out on South Beach. I mean, come on, we're talking about South Florida. So he comes over to the University of Miami. He never works me out. He stays about 30 minutes just looking at film. And then he goes, ah, we'll see your draft day. I'm like, whoa. I'm not going to get drafted here. <laughs> Nobody's really talking to me. And so when draft day came, and sure enough, with the third pick, the Detroit Lions picks, and I'm like, are you kidding me? That's why you can see all the pictures. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> because nobody took me serious, you know what I mean? Because I just thought, you know, okay. They went back to an old, old, old injury that I had since youth league football. And 
I mean, since then I played high school ball, I played college ball, and nobody talked about that. But, you know, that, that's, that's how it is. You know, they, they, they put knocks on you because, you know, they maybe they just didn't want anybody else to draft me, and they wanted me. But I'm, I'm so happy that I got drafted by Detroit. Were you like, damn, I got to tackle Barry Sanders multiple times a week in practice? Like, this is going to No, be you, know, you know what's fun about it? Because I get to tell people now, because everybody knows who Barry Sanders is. Yeah. No matter where you go, everybody knows who the number 20 is. And I says, no, let's get the story straight. I didn't play with Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders played with me. <laughs> I got drafted the year before right before him, okay? We just happened to suck, and we happened to pick the best running back in the draft. <laughs> first, first time you saw him play, were you like, oh, this kid, he's different? No. No, no. The, fir the first week of practice, okay? This guy was so smooth in how he just went about. He was like a gazelle. He hopped from one spot to the other spot, and he was 100 miles an hour. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And I, you know, we just, me and Chris Billman, William White, we just look and say, this kid is going to be special in the National Football League. Even, I mean, playing at OSU behind Thurman Thomas, people really didn't get who Barry Sanders was. I mean, I, even right now, I'll go and watch tapes and I, I want to watch myself but I end up watching how great this kid really was and I tell people records are always meant to be broken in my opinion the greatest of all times I, I'm not talking about yardage it's the great Jim Brown and then there's Barry Sanders because Jim did in eight years what it's taking these guys to do in ten plus and he's still number five on the all-time in eight years. So you can you can throw out all the you know the years and all the yardage. It's Jim Brown and there's there's Barry Sanders. I remember they were because, asking, they were asking Emmett Smith. They said your first all-time in rushing yards. Who's the greatest running back of all time? He said, "There's no question. It's Barry Sanders." Right. You know, but you know, only reason I have to say Jim Brown because Jim Brown played in an era where they didn't count the playoffs. It didn't count. None of those, those yardages counted, okay? And so even the greatest Barry Sanders, his dad said, I love you, son, but you'll never be a Jim Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. In your, in, your, in your whole career, who's the toughest player to tackle? Not named Barry Sanders. No, oh, Jesus. Actually, it was a little small kid, Mr. Brooks out of uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Small, small and small. Yeah. Look him up. Now, he wore the number 21, small in stature, and it was so hard to tackle this young man, okay? And people always say, man, why did, why did he always used to give you guys fits? Go, go back into the 80s, look up number 21. Yeah, do your homework. Yeah, I'm looking right now. I got <laughs> James Brooks. Yep. Now, people people talk about 
Christian Okoye back then, talked about Barry Ward. I mean, they talked about Otis and They talked about all these guys who are NFL greats. I didn't take anything from them. They were great, but they were easy to tackle because big guys like myself, it's easy to tackle another big guy. It's head on head, you know, you don't have to worry about it. But when you get a small guy and you're big, he kind of, his helmet is always up underneath your helmet, no matter what angle you come from. So it's always to get that hard to get that good hit on him. And so I would tell people, you know, you can line me up against a big guy all day long. I love that. But those small guys, especially Mr. Brooks, I mean, he was a nightmare for me. A, a total nightmare. I, I tell people all I, you can line them all up, but I don't want to see him. He was a nightmare. Now I was talking to I was talking to Rod Woodson a month and a half ago, and I said, "Who's the toughest receiver you've ever covered?" And I expected him to uh-huh. say like like Jerry Rice or Michael Irvin or Chris Carter. And he said Webster Slaughter. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. It's it, it's wild. Yeah, I, I see why you guys have so much trouble with Tyreek Hill now because yeah, can't catch him. <laughs> right, you know that's that's the thing. People, people will never, even if Tyreek Hill, people will never put him in the category of uh, Devin Hester. Nope. They'll never put him in the category as one of the greatest receivers to play the game. But he's probably the most resilient and toughest receiver <laughs> that a corner a corner never wants to face him. Okay. Because when you have speed and athleticism, he can run past you. He can stop on a, on a dime and catch a pass, and he can accelerate real quick. And people, people will say, 10 years from now, they'll say, well, who's the toughest receiver you ha- ever had to cover? And people will bring his name up, and they'll go, what? Yeah. That's but that, that's like what I'm telling you. When people, when I bring up Mr. Brooks and he bring us West the slot, they go, no, come on. Those guys aren't pro bowlers, they're, but they're the, they're the toughest. Yeah, that's interesting. I have a question. Do you, do you think Chris Spielman doesn't get enough? He's kind of underrated in terms of all-time great linebackers? Well, here's the thing I'm, I'm going to say. If of undersized, over those linebackers who've ever played the game, He's at the top, along with Sam Mills and all the rest of those guys, okay? But here's the problem I, I tell people all about the Hall of Fame votes. Because you haven't been on a winning team and you're not, quote-unquote, a Barry Sanders of the world, people kind of overlook you. It's, well, if he was so good, why wasn't his team winning? And I, I have to always – point out to people, it takes a team to win. You can be the greatest linebacker, the greatest running back, the greatest offensive tackle to ever have played the game, but if people don't know you, that's why I tell people, I love when I go places and I'm there with Ronnie Lott, but Ronnie Lott tells people, look, I just happen to play in San Francisco, well, my team was winners, but Benny Blaze is probably one of the most tenacious safeties who's ever played the game. And so when player, a player 
who's played your position gives you those accolades, it means more to you than when a fan says, well, no, their team sucked. And that's what I always had to hear in my whole career. But your team sucked. <laughs> I'm sorry my team sucked. But you know what I mean? If James Lofton or, you know what I mean, uh, Ronnie Lott. One of my father always brings up is, is Archie Manning. It was just Archie Manning was great, but his teams were horrible. Yeah. And, and that's why he'll never get into the Hall of Fame. His, you know, and which is sad because Eli might get into the Hall of Fame before his dad. And his dad had such a much better career than Eli. It's crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, are you kidding me? So I, have a, I have a question. In your opinion, who's the most tenacious safety in the game today? Even though it's not the same game, you can't really do as much. Who, who, who's the most intense, tenacious guy in the NFL today? In terms of safety. In terms of safety. <laughs> See, everybody talks about name recognition. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I sit there and tell you a bunch of guys who have name recognition, but for me, when I, I look at the game, I look at the body of work that some of these guys have put in. And there's a kid who played down here for the Dolphins two years ago. Fitzpatrick? Who? Fitzpatrick? No, no, no. I'm talking about, yeah, Mika Fitzpatrick. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's incredible. And he, he just, he's, he's never going to get the notoriety. You know what I mean? Because why? He's played on a team. You know, yeah, I just happen to live here. And so he's been traded away, and he's still having great years. But he's not on winning teams. And people, his body of work is there. But because he's not a pro bowler, he's not an all pro, and that, that, that bothers me because people look at name recognition. This is, that's not fair to the guys who are really putting in the work. And speaking of that with guys that don't have the name recognition who are kind of being thought of, what did, how shocked were you when Calvin Johnson didn't make the NFL 100 team? <laughs> Super. I was like, I, 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 that was the that was the one that stood out to me. I'm like, are you who's, listen, who's voting for this? Look, how do you not put him in? How do you not? I, I always tell people, if if you're gonna go even by eras, okay, there has not been a more 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 dominant receiver from the late '90s to right now in the game than Calvin Johnson. There was no How do you debate. not put him in? There's no debate either. Like, now they say, who's the best receiver in the game? And they go, oh, DeAndre Hopkins. And somebody else will say Michael Thomas. And somebody else will say, uh, what's, uh, DeAndre, or, um, what do you call it? Like, Tyreek Killer, Julio. It was always Calvin. There was no debate. None. It's Megatron. It's Megatron. You know what I mean? And I would tell and you, and I'm talking about, as much as I love my Lions, when you knew he was going to get the ball, of course, 90% of the passes is going to Megatron. <laughs> Because there was no other receiver that stood up that made him not being double covered. And so that, 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 that's the whole gist of that, that argument. This kid has been double covered. You know he's going to get covered. the ball. He, he's not, and he's, he's, he was still catching passes. <laughs> it's crazy. It, every Thanksgiving, you knew he was giving you at least 180 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. That's a minimum. <laughs> it's wild. So I want to ask you about that. So what was it like playing on Thanksgiving every year? 
Well, for me, it, it was my time to shine. I, I was because when you're playing in a market that is not a big market, it's not a New York market, it's not a California market, you know. What I mean? And so you go down on Thanksgiving. I know at least my mom is watching, my brother is watching in Seattle. Everybody around the country has to watch Benny Blaze from the U. I get to show exactly what I've been doing for the last 10 weeks. And it's, oh, okay. He's still the same. He's still the same. He's still knocking the crap out of people. And, that, that, and, and that's what you get to showcase to everybody else who don't get to see you for those other weeks. Did you just get used to it? Because you're probably used to like, all right, spending Thanksgiving with my family, and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, now you're playing. Did you just kind of get used to it, or how, how did? What did you do? Did you eat that before? What do you do? No, no, no. I'm, I'm telling you that that first year was rough for me. I, I was used to okay. What do you mean we're playing on Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is for turkey sitting around, you know what I mean, and, and watching. I I had forgotten that Detroit played every year on Thanksgiving, and so after that first year, it became a highlight. Of, of my career, because like I said, that first year, I think mean, we went, we went three and no, I think we went two and fourteen. So that was horrible. I was like, I don't want people to see me on Thanksgiving. <laughs> you guys went on Thanksgiving that year. Or was that not one of the games? No, that was that wasn't one of the games. <laughs> so. It, it, it just got to the point where we just said, you know what? Myself, Chris Billman, Jerry Brown, Norman Brown, Kevin Glover, Kevin Glover. Barry, Barry didn't have to say anything, you know what I mean? But when we went to the captain's meeting, that's how we, we built our, our nucleus of our team because of guys like that stepping up saying, you know what? In order for us to win, we got to make sure that we do our job and we do it abundantly. And, and, and a lot of times you had to speak out for guys who were getting the shaft. Because I used to tell people, the only way our secondary is gonna be great, I mean, we had to draft guys like William, um, William White, Ray Crockett, Melvin Jenkins. We had to bring these guys on board because Benny Blaze couldn't do it by himself. I mean, you can. I mean, literally, I can have 16 tackles. Chris Pillman can have 17, and you still lose the ball game. That's way too many for two people. So you had to bring along people that had that same mindset, saying, "Hey, look, we want to win. Let's share the load." And so, until we start getting guys like that, they have like minds. That's when we started winning. Do you think Jeff Akuda's got one of those like minds? Well, of course, William White, I just spoke to him last week. He said this kid is going to be phenomenal in that secondary because he has an attitude as a winner. And when you have an attitude as a winner, you hold everybody else around you accountable. And so even as a rookie, I mean, he's going to go in there, you know, with the mindset and say, hey, look, at Ohio State, we won. So we ain't taking nothing less. We ain't going into the season thinking about being four and twelve. No, that, that's not what that's not what we're going to do. Mediocrity, mediocrity does not come into my brain. 
So if you if you're thinking about being mediocre, don't come in the locker room, baby. And that that's a, that's gonna be have to be his mindset from day one. When they step on the field next 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 Sunday, he's gonna you know be very boisterous. Hey, look, man, you know you ain't living up your end of the bargain over there. If I'm locking down my corner, you gotta lock down your corner. And that's how it has to be. You have to challenge each other while you're out there. I have a question. So how, how did you get it? So, so now you're one of the new co-hosts of the Believe in Lions uh, podcast. How did you get into that? What, what, what made you interested? <laughs> well, by being a true, 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 I tell people all the time, I have been a diehard Lions fan even after I, I retired. I just, you know, I'm, I hate to say it, I just believe in the Lions, you know, and playing there, loving them, growing up a Raiders fan, and now cheering for the Lions, being in South Florida. And that's all you hear, Benny. The Lions haven't won since you played there. The Lions haven't won a Super Bowl since 1950-something. And you're still cheering for those suckers? I, you, you have no idea. Every year, I keep saying, we're going to be 11 and 5 or 12 and 4. 11 and 5 or 12 and 4. We're going to win the division. And I keep believing that every year until they prove me right or prove me wrong. It's either way, I'm going to go down with the ship. And so when this opportunity came to talk about my Lions, I said, hey, why not? Because you guys spell it B L E A V, but I've been believing in Lions for freaking years. And so when it fell in my lap, I said, it's a match made in heaven. Awesome. So, does, I've been hearing a lot of hype about the Lions this year, and I never hear hype about the Lions. Does something feel different this year? It, it really does. I, it, look, I, don't, I don't know if it's, a, if it's a pandemic talking. Yeah. <laughs> no, like the, the, on defense, nothing really turns out to you. The, the offense, I think, is, really hasn't performed. They've got an incredible group of guys. Yeah, they, look, they, they keep talking about that, but I'm telling you what's selling me on the Lions this year because – Mr. Decker, they just gave him a brand new five-year extension, okay? So if, if you're going to keep believing in this young left tackle, he's got to prove that he's worth every dime of that $85 million. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I always tell people games are won at left tackle and along your defensive line. And we, we've stocked up on defensive linemen this year. So that's why I, I think it's really, really, really making me believe that the Lions are going to be something special this year. Because if we can keep Matthew Stafford upright, we got it, baby. We're going to win that division. Do you think Galladay's got what it takes to be number one receiver? Well, I just think, you know what I mean, he's proven that, you know what I mean, he can step up. But he, you know what I mean? I, I really think he's going to need somebody else to kind of take burden some of that shoulder yeah, away Marvin, from him. Marvin Jones is phenomenal. So. You know, I mean, Marvin Jones is your big play guy. Yeah. But you're going you're gonna to need one of those crafty guys, you know, like Amandola. You're going to have to keep him around and, and teach these guys. Somebody's going to have to be that, you know, I, I call those crapsters. <laughs> they do it. They do all the dirty work. Did, did you like that Adrian Peterson signing? I, I loved it. You know, I, I loved it because 
People say he's getting long in the tooth. But it's the same thing as Frank Gore. Frank Gore's 63. He's still playing. Come on. Right. Yeah, look, but he's from the U. Different breed. Different right. breed. <laughs> I, still, I saw that his kid was playing last week on national TV. I'm like, damn. Yeah. Frank, Gore, yeah. Frank Gore might outlast him in the league. No. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But, you know, if, if you keep those guys and you, you, you give them their, their basic 15 and 16 carries per game, they'll last another two, three years yeah. because they're not shouldering the whole burden of trying to get 150, you know what I mean, 160 yards a game, yeah. you know. If they, they still have the ability to pop one, it may not go for the distance, but if they pop one for 30, 40 yards, it lights a fire up under these young kids. I'm not going to let this old guy outdo me. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's that, you know, that bravado that you need in the locker room, and those guys get that to them. Who would have thought the Buffalo Bills would have been in contention last year? But what? You bring in a Frank Gore, and he shows those guys what it takes to win. And that's what it takes. It takes an old veteran to show these guys. I mean, Detroit didn't have any any running backs that were going to set the league on fire. I mean, you got you, you bring in a veteran that's going to show him what it takes to be an ultimate veteran. I just drafted DeAndre Swift in fantasy, so I'm, I'm hoping for a big year because he was a, I was watching some of his highlights from Georgia. Look, I loved that kid at Georgia. Yeah. I, you know, I loved him, and that's why I said I'm, I'm just hoping Adrian Peterson can really show him the, the, the game and how to take care of your body oh, when, when the season is over with. All of those things play a part in veteran leadership. Now, it's also like – because everybody's saying Minnesota is like the favorite to win the division. I don't think anybody on the Lions wants to beat Minnesota more than Adrian Peterson. So, oh, of course. <laughs> so, I think that's why they signed him. So, yeah, you'd be like, what do we do? What do we do here? But th that's really all the questions I really had for you. So I just wanted to thank you again for chatting for a little while. And then how can people find you on social media um, to, to follow and keep up with you? Well, you can always – matter of fact, I, I want people to go and follow me on, on Facebook. You can go to the two-minute warning with Benny Blake. Please follow me there. Or you can go to my Instagram, and you can follow me, Benny Blades, on, on, on uh, like I said, Instagram. And, of course, uh, follow me on, uh, on my Believe podcast. That I, lo I love talking about my life. Hey, that's awesome. Well, this has been a blast, man. I can't wait for the season to start. We need football. I'm not watching any more Korean baseball. I was watching that. I was watching that for way too long. I don't know anybody's name. I can't buy any of this stuff. It's on one o'clock in the morning. I, it was that was a dark time. That was a dark time when you watch Korean baseball at one a.m. But it's been a lot of fun, man. So I wanted to thank you again. Well, I tell you what. Make sure you tune in also next Thursday. Not right, right after believing. Look, you have to believe in Benny Blaze the Bleed Podcast in the morning, okay? And then you got the two-minute warning with Benny Blade, okay, that evening. And then my Miami Hurricanes come on right after that. So next Thursday for me is going to be a big day.